Hello! Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and the first concert I attended was Striper. And I'm Jesse, and the first concert I attended was Amy Grant. Oh, she died. Oh, she died. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. So you know how you should never talk about religion and politics? Yep. So let's talk politics! (laughs) Let's talk politics! That's the closer but we're going to do it! Let's talk So we see it all the time. Christians in their conversations and on social media, they worry about politics. Right. So how do Christians end up worrying about politics and what do we do about it? That is the question. So, Jesse, what what is the goal of politics? So here's how I would define it. I think politics is basically the reordering of human society on a temporal basis. Okay. so that sounds like a very, you know, technical definition. (laughs) I'll shorten it. Politics is vying for power. Sure. That's all it is. Right. Yeah. And let's think about historical politics for a sec. Maybe like the medieval times. Well, how did you gain political power? They were born. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and then, yeah. So they were born into power. Right. And then if you wanted to compete against them, what was your politics? Yeah, you would kill them. Right. You would kill them. You would kill all the other heirs so that you were the only heir left. You're the highest heir. So politics was just complete violence. And what about Julius Caesar? The Ides of March? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just stabbed up. Yeah, so 60 senators got together, and then he was stabbed 23 times. So a third, maybe a third of the senators got to stab him (laughs) once. (laughs) How does that math work? Or one guy stabbed him 23 times. And then, so, and today, um, by some accounts, there are 50 non-free countries. So that's 2.7 billion people living in countries without political and civil freedoms. But basically, no matter where you live, you can't escape politics in some way. You can't escape the vying for power. Exactly. So I just wanted to draw a distinction because Americans are like, oh, politics. Oh, it's so nice. And no, 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 no. Politics is vying for power. Even in our democratic society, you're, you're, it's still vying for power. So in a perfect world, a politician only does what's good for the country. Right. (laughs) But does that happen? Is that even possible to find a handful of politicians that only want the good of the country? Well, it's telling since you said that, then there was awkward silence and we both laughed like it was a joke. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, and even if, even if you found a couple people who are like these angels that who are only in it to serve the country, well, then what exactly is the good of the country? Right. Everyone disagrees on what the good of the country is. And on top of that, even if you agree on that, what is the best way to achieve that good? So like with poverty, well, how do you, no one wants poverty, but how do you deal with poverty? Do you 
raise taxes? And what do, you, what do you raise taxes on? Or do you lower taxes? And then once you have that money, where exactly do you spend all that money? And that's, of course, assuming that everybody's coming to that table to make the decision with altruistic means, that there exactly. aren't all these different competing interests and all right. these different egos that are part of the process, yeah. which just make things muddy and more complicated. Right. So you have competing interests, you have competing definitions of good, and then you have competing definitions of way to accomplish that good. Right. So Christians have to think that about this as well. So Christians come to the table with their own worldview and their own definition of good, theoretically, but Christians even disagree on that. And then they compete with others who don't share the Christian worldview. So kind of what happens is in their own view of politics, Christians try to elect, mainly try to elect politicians that most closely aligns with what their view of good is. Right. And that's where worry comes in. If the opposing candidate gets elected, then the country is worse off. It is less good. It is less godly. It is less Christian. So Christians worrying about politics, it's because they think their goal is to use politics to make the country more Christian. And they worry when politics don't go their way. But things get worse. There's something that compounds this worry. So now most of us don't work on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C., so we don't know what's going on firsthand. So what do we have to rely on? The news. Yeah, news organizations, right? So what is a news organization's goal? Bottom line. To entertain, to make money. Right, exactly. Every news organization competes with one another for ratings, for money, for profit. So just like any other TV show, you have to find and cater to a specific audience. And not only that, once you find the audience, you got to grab their attention because there's so many things that are competing and vying for their eyeballs or their ears. Right. Like comedies, sports, podcasts, dramas. Yeah. Even non-TV shows are uh, vying for your attention. Um, But even just on TV, like sci-fi shows, cooking shows and reality TV. And really, news shows are essentially reality TV shows. Right. And the term I heard, I don't know where I heard it, but the term I really like is infotainment and that they're basically trying to entertain you with information. So if you're really into the reality TV shows that are categorized as news, this infotainment, well, you could either watch the one where you disagree with the worldview, or you could just change the channel and watch the one with a worldview that lines up more closely with yours. And this is what's called confirmation bias. Confirmation and bias is you are accepting the data that supports your existing worldview while rejecting the data that disagrees with it. And one of the ways that the problem is compounded is because all these outlets are trying to get our attention, they sensationalize everything that they're reporting. Yeah, because how do you get people to actually watch your stuff? You have to go, everything is important. Right. Like, could you imagine if a newscaster, when they came to the commercial break, they said, After these commercials, we'll talk about news that doesn't really matter. (laughs) Was that newscaster Batman? (laughs) After these messages, you'll see me battle poor dental hygiene. (laughs) Oh, that was great. Or like, what if NPR was like, today we're going to talk about how fear is overrated and the world is so much better than it was 20 years ago. I'm Terry Gross. Thank you for listening to Fresh Air. So, okay, so getting back to this. So the next tactic they use for ratings is demonization. So what demonization is, is you take a disagreement over tactics or definitions and elevate it to a disagreement over morals. 
the, the reasoning is the only reason why you disagree with me is because you are evil. And the problem with this is it increases our propensity to want to be angry rather than loving because right. it creates yeah. polar opposites. Instead of finding where there might be commonality or overlap, instead we just see everybody as our enemy when they disagree with us on politics. Right. Because they're like, in our own heads, we understand what we're thinking. And there, everyone is going, my view in my head is so easy to understand. And I am righteous in my thinking. So obvi- I'm so obviously right in my head that the only possible conclusion that anybody would disagree with me is because they're evil. Right. And it can't simply be because we are proposing different methods to accomplish the same thing or we have different starting assumptions to solve the same problem. So demonization starts with self-righteousness. Right. And then on top of that, another way that news shows create division, they invite two or more guests with oppo- on opposing sides. And then what do they have them do? Fight it out. Exactly. They have we them love to see that. Argue. Exactly. It's a sporting event. Here's your team fighting another team. But sometimes in sports, they're less angry. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes there's actually sportsmanship because at least there it's about a competition as opposed to here it's just about beating somebody up right so is it any wonder that the nation gets more divided when these infotainment shows are founded on division but here's the thing it gets even worse so okay so you already have the confirmation bias the somebody watching picking which which news channel they want but now we can get into selection bias so if you want to sensationalize a certain viewpoint well, then you selectively choose to only report on the events that support your view while bypassing the events that don't. And by doing so, you create a narrative. So let's say you want to create a narrative saying that all dogs are bad. Well, then you only report on dog attacks while at the same time skipping over any events where dogs were beneficial. Right. And through this selection bias, you can create outrage because you've carefully crafted a negative narrative. And now you can demonize the opposition because they're so obviously wrong. And the only possible reason they don't agree with you with your obviously right viewpoint is because they are evil and therefore you are righteous. Right. Okay. So you have this infotainment show that is flat out telling you to worry. They say everything is critical. They say the opposition are villains and they invite guests to fight. And then they only cover stories that create outrage to support their narrative. So, of course, you're going to worry. That is the point. That's like the cliffhanger at the end of a show. If it weren't a new show, but an entertainment show, it'd be like, will our heroes survive? Can they do anything to overcome the onslaught of the evil ones? Stay tuned for our next exciting episode of Righteous Outrage. (laughs) Except in this case, it's real life. And we need to understand that when we look at these things, they're curated and crafted to promote fear and anxiety. And outrage. Right. So we get suckered into this worry and outrage, thus justifying our unkind feelings and actions to those who disagree with us. And you, and since you'll see this all the time in real life and the internet and social media, that's why we wrote a theme song that you can play in your head every time you see people getting caught up in all this justifying their righteous outrage. Because I am good and they are evil. Oh, 
so righteously angry. <laughs> okay, so back to the thing. So now, <laughs> do we even get back to the podcast? <laughs> oh, is that what we're doing here? Oh, yeah. We're not just goofing off. Okay, so this is where we start to draw distinct lines. So we really have three groups. We have one, politicians, two, infotainers, and three, the church. And what are their goals? So politics, the goal is, the goal of politics is what? Power. Right. The goal of infotainment is ratings slash profit. The goal of the church, of us, is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right. So even if you think of some political utopia, let's say you have this imaginary perfect Star Trek government where that you see in your head where there's this utopia where everyone's material needs are met and everyone lives to be 100 and all sins are crimes. Here's the question. Is anybody more Christ-like? Not necessarily. Right. Why? Because you can't force people to be moral beings when we're sinful. Exactly. You can't legislate godliness. All you've done is created the most legalistic society ever. Right. Like, does anybody actually love God and others more? And it's easier to just follow the rules and make it look like you love God and others Mm -hmm. when, in fact, your attitude is totally far away from that. Exactly. And what did Jesus call the Pharisees? Whitewashed tombs. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what my favorite one. You yeah. know, that's really descriptive. So basically what I'm saying, I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. I'm saying let the government be the government and let the church be the church. So don't try to get the government to do the church's job or your job. And your job, our job, of course, is to love God and love others. That's what we've been commanded to do. So let me ask this one simple question. Does infotainment news promote love? No, it promotes the exact opposite of love. Exactly. So here's the question. Why would you subject yourself to hours and hours of something that is not promoting love, but actually promotes division and hatred? Right. So here's an application. So if you're a political news junkie, try taking a break from news for an entire month. And after that month, see how you feel. So no news, no websites, and replace the time with something else like exercise, fellowship, friendship, or even just entertainment, but just something that is not 24 hours of hatred. Right. And then after that month, go back and see and look at the news that you missed. Like go back to the first day of the news you missed and ask yourself, did I actually have to watch that stuff or was the world able to still function without me following every single detail? Well, and sometimes we're fearful that if we don't pay attention to the news, we miss out on the world. Like we're not going to be able to participate in it. Right. But I think when we find we step away from news, that's not true at all. And that's yeah. a, a misconception that yeah. the media has put on us. Yeah. And it's almost the exact opposite. When you step away from news, you can actually get back into life and take care of yourself and your family and your friends. Or play croquet. Yeah. Or you could read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> We should have said that. We should have led with read the Bible instead of play croquet. <laughs> then play croquet. I like how you took that, that suggestion like super seriously. Just like, yes. Okay, so here's the 15 second fast God stuff summary. God commands us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Voluntarily subjecting ourselves to a steady diet of infotainment, sensationalism, and division just causes us to worry and tempts us to hate. So as you choose where to devote your attention, consider areas where you can love God and others more. Righteous <laughs> outrage justifies my verbal rampage. Righteous outrage justifies my burning 
Okay, so in part one, we went over how the world wants us to see politics. So, Jesse, how should Christians view politics? Well, the number one thing that we as Christians need to do is to make sure that we do not make politics an idol. Yeah, that's a good one. And we need to take a little bit of inventory because one of the signs that an object is functioning as an idol is that we become really fearful and anxious. Yeah, right. Especially if our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, Mm -hmm. our response generally is to panic. So instead of just being like, well, things are crazy, the circumstances are not what I really like, but I'm trusting that God is in control. But instead, we often say things when political things go crazy, like, it's the end of the world, there is no (laughs) more hope. Yep. And so that may be the reason why so many people now respond respond to political trends in such an extreme way. Right. So it's like, they're going to raise my taxes. So I'm anxious because I'm going to have to have less money and I'm going to have to change my lifestyle. Right. So now that you're not focused on spiritual growth, you're focused on your idols, which in this case is money and your standard of living. Right. And inevitably, when one party wins an election, there's always a certain portion of people who become agitated and fearful for the future, Mm -hmm. just like over those same issues that you brought up. Yeah. And so Christians can fall victim to this too, because Christians can put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that is reserved for God and the work of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So another sign of idolatry in politics is that opponents are not simply considered just to be mistaken, but they're considered to be evil. Exactly. Yep. Like we spoke about before. Yeah. And so there's this increasing political polarization and all this bitterness that we see in politics, I think is a sign that we have made political activism into a form of religion. Right. It's that entrenched in who we are. Right. And because politics is used to solve a problem, but we know what the real problem is. The real problem is sin, but the world doesn't see things that that way. So when you take out sin as the root problem, the problem becomes temporal earthly things like our standard of living or a subjective sense of morality. So we need to remember that in the biblical view of things, the main problem in life is sin. Mm -hmm. And the only real solution is God and his grace. But the alternative view is to identify something besides sin as the main problem with the world and something besides God as the main remedy. Right. And what we see, what I see is people going, you know what the real problem in America is? The taxes are too high or we don't have enough freedoms or we don't have enough jobs or people are taking our, our jobs or we're losing jobs right. or we don't have enough health care or the environment. Or sometimes it's just that the other people who have opposing ideas We need to get rid of them. If we just got rid of that ideology, the world would be a better place. And so what that perspective does, it demonizes something that is not completely bad, like other people with just different ideas. Mm -hmm. And it makes an idol out of something that cannot be the ultimate good, like politics. Yes. So we need to, as Christians, really understand, well, who places presidents and kings in power? Right. And when Christians make politics the gospel, like the solution to all our problems, like Mm -hmm. this is what will fix everything. We're often led to believe that we will fail God if we do not vote for the right person Mm -hmm. or if an ungodly candidate is elected in office. Right. We really need to think about what that means. Yeah. And what we're basically saying is that it's always God's plan to have leaders with the right kind of values and power. And when his people fail to get them elected, his perfect will for that nation cannot be accomplished. Right. 
And maybe we should look back into the Bible <laughs> and see if that really is the case. I'm so glad that you said yeah. that, Conrad, because <laughs> the Bible the, is helpful sometimes. The Bible you know, is so <laughs> helpful for situations like this. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter one, we find these words words written by Paul and inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Him, that is God, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Mm-hmm. So in this verse, we have an amazing promise that you notice we already have the inheritance. So in other words, nothing else can take that away from us. Right. Yeah. God has already vouchsafed it to us. He's given it to us. It's for ours. And then beyond that, everything that happens is purposeful and under God's plan. He's deliberately bringing about all of his will in this world and nothing happens outside of that will. Right. And what is his plan? His plan is that he will be our God and we will be his people. It says this a bunch of times in the Bible. Exactly. So here are the two big parts of that is one, nothing can separate God's children from his love, and two, our destination is heaven. And politics can't prevent either one of those things from happening. That's why it tells us in Matthew 6 not to be anxious, and in Philippians 4, be anxious in nothing. Right. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying the plan of God, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, is not defeated or opposed. And that includes the role world leaders play in the unfolding of God's eternal purposes in Christ. Mm -hmm. So just think about this. Think how hard it would have been to convince the oppressed Jews that it was God who placed Pharaoh on his throne. Right. (laughs) That's a crazy idea, right? To say like, Mm -hmm. no, this is part of God's unfolding drama for all Mm -hmm. of humanity. But that's exactly what we find in Romans 1. Because the scripture tells us, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Right. Or think of like another just crazy king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who Mm -hmm. was the king of Babylon during Israel's exile and oppression. And he saw himself as like the most powerful ruler in the universe. Like this guy had a serious ego. Right. And Babylon was a superpower at the time. Right. And so here's this guy who thinks he's the man and then he has this dream. It's so scary and unnerving that he doesn't know what to do. So he calls in this prophet, Daniel, who is an Israelite living in the land of captivity. And he asks him to interpret the dream. And this is what Daniel says. He says, it is a decree of the most high, which has come upon my Lord, the King, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Mm -hmm. So the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way is really the same one that we should humbly accept as summarized in Daniel chapter four, the most high rules, the kingdom of men, and he is the one who's in charge. He sets up kingdoms. He brings them down. He is the one who puts people into power and nobody else. Right. And another big point is just because God put someone into power doesn't mean that those people are going to be obedient to God. It just means that God can use everything for our long-term spiritual benefit. So yes, we can see how God used evil rulers to move Israel from point A to point B, but in our own personal spiritual lives, the Bible says all things work together for the good of them that love God. So this includes political events, natural events, our own mistakes, everything. And that's because God's ultimate plan for us is our sanctification, our Christ-likeness. It's not for us to have lower taxes or better healthcare. It's our Christ-likeness. So he grows our love, patience, self-control, kindness, and peace in the midst of hardships. And it's because it's pretty hard to grow patience when you have everything all the time or peace 
when you when things are always awesome or or love when everyone is cool all the time. But God commands us to love God and others. And the only way we can do that more is if we are grown to be more like Christ. Absolutely. And if we look at the pattern of Jesus and his very first followers, they did not feel the need to be some kind of powerful moral majority in order to impact the world around them. Mm -hmm. Because what they literally did was invest their lives in loving God and loving others. Mm -hmm. And regardless of who's in political power, that's something that God has tasked every Christian to do. Right. And so I think it would be fair to say that those Christians, if they were taken out of the world, their neighbors would have actually really missed them. Yeah. And that's the challenge that we have as we undertake understanding what politics should be like and how we should relate to it. Yeah. Basically, what you're saying is we need to be doing the job that a lot of times the church is pushing off on the government. Now, we should participate in the political process in obedience to Jesus. But we should also remember that our first calling is to speak and live out the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, politics is, like we said at the beginning, this art of reordering human society on a temporal basis. And the message of the gospel is about redeeming the relationship between man and God, leading to eternal life. Right. So as Christians, we want to do everything possible to elevate justice and righteousness in the world. And that means taking responsibility for participating in the political process to increase the order of society. Right. But it should be always undergirded with love and compassion and empathy. Exactly. And not righteous outrage. (laughs) (laughs) So Jesus sets the proper political expectation for us. Mm -hmm. And rather than control the world through coercive and politically partisan force, Jesus' method was to win the world through the persuasive power of kindness and neighbor love. So not only do we have this wonderful example of neighborly love, but we also, again, see that here is God in Jesus Christ, completely sovereign. And by that, we mean that he alone has supreme power and exercises unstoppable authority. Mm-hmm. So what do we have to worry about? When we know that God is in control and we live responsibly in obedience to him, we ought to have nothing to worry about. Yeah, because basically earth is like an airport. It's not our final destination. And it's like we won the lottery and we're going on this permanent vacation and we're just there waiting for our flight. So why in the world would we get bent out of shape in the airport when stuff doesn't go our way politically? Like our guy didn't get elected to rule over our little section of the airport, or we're so busy trying to protect the little seats that we've cordoned off for ourselves, and we forget that this entire airport is going to be burned down one day. And the only permanent things that we're going to be able to take with us are, how did we love God and others while we were in the airport, which comes in the form of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, when we enter into our true home? Right. We should be more worried about our own sanctification, how we can continue to in obedience and holy living. Exactly. So when we're standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to ask us who you voted for or did your guy get elected? It's going to be when your guy didn't get elected, did you love God and others more? Right. And if we can't count on Christians to do that, when things are difficult, when everybody else is freaking out and going crazy because they've made politics their idol, Mm -hmm. Christians should be the most level-headed, most kind, most prayerful people in person and especially on the internet. Exactly. And if we cannot give that kind of testimony when politics seems to be going awry, Mm -hmm. then we are really not living out our faith. Right. The the Bible flat out says, be anxious in nothing. Yet, we seem to be doing the opposite. Be anxious in everything. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not sure we can summarize this with just words, Conrad. I agree. It seems okay. like we need to summarize this section with a little song. Hit it. So your 
That's all the politics we have time for today. Oh, really? Tell a friend about this episode and remember to subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will generate righteous outrage. (laughs) Until next time, love God. Love others. That's That's it. it.